Welcome to the Gregory Digout Podcast. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for hosting Life Changers Church again in your home. Thanks for being patient and trusting God's timing for all that is happening in the world today and all that's happening in our church life. We're trusting God. We're walking by faith. We're walking with wisdom, trusting God for his direction and guidance. And thank you for being patient. And thank you for being concerned about people. And really, that's why we're doing what we're doing. We're concerned about people and we know that God's going to lead us. But each step of the way, God has been showing me more and more. And honestly, I'm just going to be sharing with you what I'm studying, what I'm learning, what I'm experiencing in my relationship with God. I actually believe I've had a revival in my soul of some sort. And God told me, hey, start a revival. And I really wasn't sure what he meant. And, and then I heard these words, start a revival of closeness to me. I want people to feel my closeness. You know, we can't get closer to God, but we can become more aware of his presence in our lives and feel that closeness more than we ever have before. There is no separation anymore between you and God. Jesus closed that gap with his blood. Now we're in his presence and his presence is in us at all times. But there's a close walk that he's called us to. And it doesn't mean we become you know, better than anybody or we're more holy or act more religious than anybody. It's quite the opposite, actually. It's the, a re, the real Jesus is full of so much life and exuberance and joy and peace. The Bible said the Bible says that he had joy and happiness more than anybody in Hebrews chapter one and chapter two. It really is incredible. The 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 Jesus of the Bible is not the Jesus that religion tries to paint the picture of. And I'm talking to you about that today. I want to talk to you about knowing Jesus and exposing the real enemy. I want you to know his beauty. I want you to know his beauty and I want to expose the real enemy. And the real enemy is probably going to be a little slightly different explanation than maybe what you thought in the past. But I'm going to show you from the word of God. But in Psalm 27, verse four in the Message Bible, this is what God's doing in my life. And this is what I'm passing on to you. I'm asking God for one thing, only one thing, to live with him in his house my whole life long. I'll contemplate his beauty and I'll study at his feet. And he's really saying as a result of having a revelation or an understanding of more and more of his beauty. It's what leads us to studying at his feet. It's 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 really a cause and effect. The if the effect is the result is I'll study at his feet. But why? Will we study at his feet? What 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 lures us in? What what woos us to Jesus is not his religion. What woos us to Jesus is not his holiness. What woos us to Jesus is his beauty. He says, I'll contemplate his beauty and I'll, it makes me want to study more. I've been wanting to study more than I ever have of his beauty, because this is what like we can tell you, read your Bible, pray, learn all the do's and don'ts. That's not God's way. God's way is to get a revelation of his beauty, to see the beauty of his word and to hear the tone in his voice, which so many people have it wrong. And I want it. I want you to get it. I want you to hear it. I want you to feel it. So because when you begin to know him like this, 
as he wants to be known, there will be no stopping the goodness of God that's going to show up in your life. I'll contemplate his beauty. I'll study at his feet. You know what that causes you to expect? Look at what verse 13 says of the same chapter. When you contemplate his beauty, this is what it causes. It says, I would have despaired in the New American Standard Version of this verse in verse 13 of Psalm 27. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You see, when you contemplate his beauty, you expect his goodness. When you contemplate his beauty, it gives you courage. It gives you faith. It gets your expectation out there for the goodness of God to show up in your life. I'm expecting his goodness to show up in your life today. I'm expecting his goodness to show up in my life today. That's what happens when you contemplate his beauty. If you look back at the verse four in the Message Bible, it says, I contemplate his beauty. And it causes me to study. At his feet, contemplate his beauty causes me to study at his feet. You see, when you truly know him as he is, as he really is, there's no stopping the joy. There's no stopping the peace. There's no stopping the goodness. There's no stopping the laughter. There's no stopping the love. There's no stopping the contagious viral power of the goodness and love of God. You think it's hard to stop Corona? It's impossible to stop God's goodness. Boy, and that's what we were created for. He said, this is eternal life to know him. Once you understand this piece of God's purpose for you to know him and know his beauty and to know his goodness, once you understand that piece of his purpose for your life, all the rest of his purpose for your life begins to unfold. You begin to walk in more and more of God's will, God's purpose, God's peace, God's promises, God's power. You see, to know his spirit, to know his voice, he said, my sheep hear my voice in John 10, verse 27. He, when you understand his personality, when you understand the essence of who Jesus is, you see, I want to submit to you today that so often when we read the Bible, it's been told to us by religious and theological people and and people that have prided themselves sometimes on knowing a lot about the Bible or about history. But when they when you read the Bible through the filter, of just the the one or the two dimensions of the scriptures and you don't realize that it's three dimensional because not only are there the scriptures, not only is the spirit of God behind the scriptures, but there is the tone that God intends for us to read the Bible in. There's a certain tone in his words that if you don't understand the tone, you'll take his words wrong. Just like when you how many texts have I sent to somebody be, you know, meaning to be funny or fun or playful. And it, 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 because they, I couldn't convey the tone in the text or in an email, 
maybe it hurt them or maybe they didn't understand it. And I think there's so many things in Scripture that that are misunderstood because we're not we're not aware of the tone that that he intends it in. And I'm going to show you his tone. As as this unfolds in a few moments, because I really want you to get the tone, because when when you understand the author of the writing, you understand the writing better. When you understand the author's tone, you understand the words better. Well, now it all makes sense, you see. This is what Jesus meant when he said in Matthew 11, verse 29, take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. You know when you'll find rest for your soul, because really your body can rest, but your but your body will wear down when your soul is weary. And Jesus said, learn from me. I'm gentle. That doesn't mean weak. It means meek. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is controlled strength. When you train a thoroughbred horse, you make that horse meek. The meekness of that horse is not weakness. It's controlled strength for him to be a, a, a racehorse. It's controlling his strength to go in a certain direction. Jesus says, I'm gentle. I have controlled strength. I know when to utter a thunderous word. And I know how to comfort a grieving widow, a broken life. I know how to touch the soul of somebody who's hurting. I know how to be gentle and humble with your heart. He knows how to touch the children as they brought children to him and he laid his hands on them. The disciples said, don't do it. Get away from keep these kids away. Jesus said, let them come. Kingdom belongs to these kids to become like a little child. You'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. See, religion has given us a distorted view of Jesus. The number one enemy in the world today is a distorted picture of Jesus. It's not a world without Jesus. That's not the worst thing. It's the second worst thing. The worst thing is a distorted view of Jesus to have a version of him that is not, does not carry the tone, the love, the lightheartedness, the burden is light, the yoke is easy, rest for your soul, peace, sleeping in the middle of a boat, in the middle of a storm. The tone of Jesus is laughter and, and lightheartedness and fun and playfulness. But you don't get that from religion. Because this is what the this is what the enemy of your soul is after. He wants to hijack the true image and identity of God. And he is trying to pull off the greatest heist that has ever happened in the world. The devil is a liar and a thief, and he's trying to he's trying to pull off the greatest heist and the greatest robbery from a from the world is not a robbery of the existence of God. It's the devil hijacking through religion. 
the real image of God. Religion is the thief. Religion is man's do's and don'ts that rob people who read the Bible. It robs them from the it robs them of the personality of Jesus. It robs them of his essence. The devil's greatest works are works of deception. Just ask Adam and Eve about that. And he the way that he deceives is through distortion. Satan uses distortion to deceive you into a, a, a inferior version of what Jesus is really like. I don't just mean that he's powerful and he's strong and he's mighty, but he's fun and he's playful and he's full of joy and laughter and exuberance. And his essence is so much more lighthearted than you have ever been painted by religion that has ever been painted for you. You know, if I could say it this way, religion has vandalized the beauty of Jesus. When you think of vandalism, let's just take graffiti, for example. You could take a beautiful painting. What if you went down to the Louvre in Paris and you went down, you got to it takes a long time to get to the Mona Lisa, but it's the it's the, the pride of 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 that museum, the Louvre, to get to the Mona Lisa, the original. That's priceless. There's no there's really no they, they'll never it'll never be sold because there's not nobody will ever nobody could pay the value of what true people that understand true art, what value they've placed upon that. But what if you what if somebody broke in through the glass and everything and and just spray painted some obnoxious word or just spray painted a, a mustache on the Mona Lisa or a beard? You see, now you would have a distorted view of something really beautiful. And she's frankly not. Not that beautiful as is, you know what I'm saying? I don't mean to you know, make fun of her or make light of her, but. <laughs> but she got if you put a mustache and, you know, there have been. GIFs of that or, you know, whatever you call the memes of that. And it distorts the. The beauty, what if. You went into the museum where Michelangelo's statue of David is in Florence, Italy. And what if you went and put a jumpsuit on David? <laughs> Or a dress, because you, know, you know nowadays it's like anybody can wear anything. Let's let's say you did that. You you it would vandalize the beauty of that statue, of a work of art. And religion has broken in to Christianity, broken in to church, because the church lets down their guard. Oh, anything religious? Yeah, that must be good. No. Religion is man's ways, man's rules of do's and don'ts. Man trying to earn God's favor and God's love and adoration, and we don't have to earn it. It's free. So religion is broken in and robbed the church and the Bible of the beauty of Jesus. And God is causing a revival of the simplicity of the gospel and closeness with God. 
And it all happens through a revelation of his beauty. It really does. And that's what I'm here to share with you. You know, in first John chapter four, verse one, John tells us something here. He urges us to pay close attention to the spirits that are trying to shape your view of God and thereby shape your view of yourself. He said, beloved, don't believe every spirit. Test the spirits to see whether they're really from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so he's really warning us of false prophets more than the devil. It's amazing that he's that what he's highlighting here. He said, by this, you know, the spirit of God, every spirit that confesses. And the word confess there is it's to agree with every spirit that agrees with the real Jesus Christ, that he's come in the flesh and he's in the flesh. He's our beautiful savior. That's from God and every spirit that does not agree with. Jesus. The one, the only, the beautiful. The dearest father, our closest friend. That spirit is not from God. It's the spirit of the Antichrist, he says in verse three, of which you've heard that is coming. And now it is already in the world. It was in the world. Nineteen hundred two thousand years ago. The Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist and the spirit of the Antichrist is in the world today, giving us a distorted version of Jesus. That is the Antichrist. Anything that vandalizes the real Jesus vandalizes your understanding of his true identity, his true reflection of beauty, his true reflection of love, his true reflection of a joy filled life filled with goodness, filled with warmth, filled with healing, filled with blessing, filled with deliverance, breaking the power of Satan, breaking the power of oppression off of your life. That's the real Jesus. The real Jesus brings joy. The real Jesus brings happiness. The real Jesus brings liberty and freedom. And the real Jesus doesn't put you in religious bondage. The real Jesus breaks every chain, breaks every yoke, breaks every bondage, breaks everything that is trying to limit your view of how beautiful this God is, how wonderful, how glorious beholding his beauty, contemplating his beauty brings us to his feet and we stand in awe. He goes on to say in verse six of this chapter, he says, we are from God. He who knows God listens to us and he who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And verse eight says, and God is love. God is love. The Bible says in Hebrews one, verse three, that Jesus is the exact Radiance, he's the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of God's nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. In other words, like Jesus said to, to Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. What do we see Jesus doing? Singing, laughing, healing. The only the only people he was ever harsh toward 
were the religious people trying to put more religious burdens on others. Everyone else, he was the sweet aroma, the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley, the author and finisher of our faith, the healer, the prince of peace, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the lamb upon the throne, not a judge upon the throne. He's the lamb upon the throne. You see, in John chapter 10, Jesus introduces himself in verse 11 as the good shepherd. But the word good is actually the word as I've shared with you for the last couple of weeks, it's the word beautiful. I'm the beautiful shepherd, the beautiful shepherd who's filled with beautiful love for you lays down his life for the sheep. You see, you can know this Jesus intimately. God's calling us to know him intimately, but we have to not mistake, not make the mistake of embracing a Jesus of religion, but embrace the Jesus that was with the Father from the beginning. The son who was with the father, the son who was the father and the son. If you think of a father and a son and their love between each other and their and the fun that they have and the playfulness, yes, instruction and teaching, but playfulness and fun and joy and happiness. And I'm so proud of you, son. And that's the father's first words out of heaven. When Jesus comes out of the waters of baptism, he says, you are my dearly loved son. And I'm I'm so happy with you. You bring me such great joy. Mark 1 11 in the in the New Living Translation, it says, you're my dearly loved son. A voice comes out of heaven. You're my dearly loved son. And look at what he says here in verse 11 of the New Living Translation. He says, and you bring me great joy. Wow. And as he is, so are we in this world. You bring the father joy. And he brings you joy. Where do you think you got it from? You got it from him and you're giving it back to him, just like we got love from him and we're giving our love back to him. It came from him to begin with. It's all in him. If you go back to John 10, verse 11, I'm the good shepherd, I'm the beautiful shepherd. It's the word beautiful in Greek. Why does he introduce himself as the beautiful shepherd? In verse 11, because in verse 10, he says the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. What does he come to steal, kill and destroy your view of God? He comes to steal the true image of Jesus and replace it with a fake, a distortion, not the authentic, not the real, but a religious. Long faced, sad, Savior that is not sad at all. Why do you think the Bible says he's going to die? He's about to be betrayed. And what is he doing? Eating with his disciples. In what manner? Eating on the run, fast food, because I got to go. I got to go die real quick. So just let's get some, let's get a, you know, like a quick burger, guys, because I don't have time for this, man. Get your biggie fry. Do whatever you want after this, because I'm out of here. Oh, reclining, it says, if you study that, it's really easy. Look at the Last Supper. It's not like Da Vinci, man. It's not like this. I'm not against beautiful art. It's beautiful. 
the Last Supper are, but it's not accurate. See, the Bible says they were reclining. I don't know about you, but when you recline, you're not like stiff, you're reclining, you're relaxed. This is Jesus. This is the real Jesus. I mean, John's got his head on the bosom of Jesus. John's just like living it up, man. I know you're leaving. I believe you when you say you're leaving, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just soak up every minute, every inch of you, every bit of you, I want it all. Like Jesus was so approachable. John's leaning his head in the bosom of Jesus. And then, and Jesus eating bread and drinking wine with these guys. And he's like, oh, by the way, the one that just put the bread in the, you know, in the, in the oil and the cheese or whatever they had back then. The one who just dipped the bread. They were having, they were dipping bread, man. Like sometimes we think dipping bread is going to make us so, you know, unhealthy. And Jesus dipping bread, bro. Just dip your bread and enjoy. <laughs> and he says that, he's like, oh, by the way, you know, whoever I give this to, that's the one that's going to betray me, you know. Judas takes it and <laughs> takes off. Jesus is so funny. He's like, oh, by the way, the one that's, the one that, he says, he says, the one that's going to betray me is the one I hand the bread to. Notice, I'm going to hand the bread, I'm going to dip it, and I'm going to, this is Jesus' sense of humor. I'm going to dip it, and I'm going to pass it, and the one I pass it to is the one that's going to betray me. He passes it to Judas, and then Peter's like, ask him who it is that's going to betray. <laughs> it's so funny. It's so funny. What did he mean? Where did Judas go? Why Judas? He just said, <laughs> oh, you got to find the humor in Jesus. You got to find how playful he is. The, hey, guys, the one that I dipped, the one that, the one that I dipped this bread in and handed it to him, that's the one that's going to betray me. Judas takes it, he leaves, and they're like, I wonder where Judas went. <laughs> I wonder where Judas went. Oh, maybe he had to take care of the accounting for... <laughs> Give me for, don't forgive me, but I'm just having a blast because this is, this is the real Jesus I'm talking to you about. The thief that he's talking about here in verse 10 is religion. It's not even the devil. It's religious leaders that want to put burdens on you that Jesus already took off of you. It's religious leaders that want to put yokes on you that Jesus already said, no, don't have that yoke. I break that yoke and I'm yoking you with me. That way you... You won't be able to make it all the way on your own, but I'll, you'll be yoked to me and I'll carry you. That's the Jesus, the remarkable personality of Jesus, the, the playful, the, the kind, the creative, the, the funny, the loving, the warm. You got to understand the tone of the word of God. So much of it is tongue and cheek. I'm not saying that any of it is unbiblical or unscriptural or unauthentic, but some of it, we read it with the wrong voice. We read it with religious filter. King James. Wherefore art thou, Lord Jesus Christ, of Nazareth? Let him come to me, all that are weary. Who wants to come to that? Let him come to me, all that are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Who wants that? It's like getting to heaven and they're like, sorry, like you go to, you go to heaven and you, you think like somebody's going to be there. Sorry, you can't come in with that. Sorry, you can't come in with that. Sorry, wipe those shoes off. Don't you know you're going to be walking the street? Who wants that? Jesus like, come as you are. 
He said, go and invite people that are poor and blind and lame and naked and broken. Go get them and bring them into this celebration. I'll clothe them. I'll put the coat of righteousness on them. I'll give them the right thing to wear. I'll take care of them. I'm inviting them. Go get them. Go into the highways and the byways and get them to come. Maybe some of what this has done, some of what has happened in the body of Christ, some of what has happened in the earth is getting the church out of just comfortable seats and out into the world to reveal the real Jesus to the broken, to the suffering, and for us to be there for the hurting, for us to be there for the suffering, for us to be the church, not just go to church, but to be the church. Of course, I want to meet together, and I believe we're meeting together now, and we'll meet together in our buildings at some point soon as well, but I'm telling you, it's the God wants us to get the right picture of Jesus, because the worst thing than not knowing Jesus at all is to know him wrongly. Get a hold of this, you'll never be the same. I'm changed. This last month of my life has just been all about. Stripping away the things that don't matter. Stripping away the complicated hoops that religion tries to make us jump through. Jesus, so beautiful, and he's so fun. He walks on water, he hides money in fish's mouths, he teases the disciples and tell them, hey, try to put your net over on the other side, see what happens. What happens? They catch. 153 fish. How do we know? Because that's what the Bible says. After, this is after Jesus' resurrection, similar to the miracle he did earlier. But how did they know it was 153 fish? They pulled in all these fish. They didn't even recognize Jesus till he said, it is I, do not be afraid. Like he revealed himself to them. First, he's like, hey, guys, what are you guys doing? We're fishing. They jump. They see Jesus and they jump. He's in the, he's on the beach. And you know what he's got going? a grill and you know what he's grilling fish he's like come on guys let's have breakfast it wasn't like let's have a board meeting let's have breakfast did you catch anything no all right we'll put your net on the other side boom 153 wonder how they knew they were like wow jesus is with us he's amazing he gave us his great catch of fish let's count them look at how much fish we couldn't catch anything and look we got all these fish, let's count them. And Jesus, Jesus is like, um, you don't need to count them, boys. It's 153. <laughs> How did he know? He put them there. He commanded 153 fish to jump into those guys' nets. And he's having fun with these guys. You turn water into wine, you think it's to be bored? You turn water into wine, not just any wine, but the guy at the, you know, he's like, whoa, this last bottle was just amazing. I mean, it was better than the first for sure. Oh my God, you saved the best for last. Like he, uh, sorry, I'm trying to imitate being drunk. I haven't been that way in 24 hours or so. Just kidding, in many years. But <laughs> you think Jesus turns water into wine for everybody to be sad? 
Or do you think he turned the water into wine for everybody to rejoice and celebrate? Whew. He's playful, guys. Look at Zechariah chapter 8, verse 5. He tells of the future of what the kingdom will be like and what the world that he wants for us to be like. He said, in the streets of the city, we fill with boys and girls playing in its streets. The streets of the city will be filled with boys and girls playing in its streets. You know, when you're little, you just want to play. I wonder if this is why Jesus said you got to be like a little child. They the disciples said, get those kids away. Jesus was like, let them come because the kingdom of God belongs to these. And what do children do better than anything? They play, they play, they play and they play and they play until we train it out of them mistakenly because we think life has to be serious. And really, at the end of the day, God's desire is to bring all of us back to that place where we're filling the streets with boys and girls in the playing and having fun. Told the earlier service, we had a condo once in the city and we never lived in it, but we had it and then we, we got rid of it. But it was on the 11th floor of a building downtown, somewhere in downtown Chicago, and it was, um, but every day it was right across the street from a elementary school. And so when we were fixing it up and getting it ready, and we'd go there and we'd just open the, the balcony door and just hear these kids laughing and playing, and there's no sound like that. My youngest kid used to be really quiet until he got PlayStation and got um, Fortnite going. And these, he's on, you know, they're online with each other, right? You, your kid might be at your home, my kid might be in mine. And they are just cracking up. They are laughing so loud, I gotta go in there and like muzzle, I gotta stick a, a, a sock in his mouth. It's, it's, no, not, really not, because it's a, it's a voice, it's a sound we wanna hear. It's a sound we wish we'd hear. It's a sound that we're raising our kids to hear. We're not, why are we raising our families to be boring and to have no fun? We should be having fun. We should sit around the table and laugh and tease. And this is how Jesus was. This is the real Jesus. He's laughing. He's playing. He's feeding. He's celebrating. He's, these are fishermen that he's been with. These are guys that know how to tell stories and he's the greatest storyteller of them all and they are blown away by his stories the prodigal son the lost sheep the lost um, the, the the lost coin he's telling all these stories about a plank that's so long the log is in this guy's eye he's giving us a funny picture of what judging somebody really is <sighs> he's so playful look he said the streets of the city will be filled with boys and girls playing in its streets. And if you look at verse 4, in the, I think it's the English version, he says, this is what we do. We start out playing, and then what do we do when we get old? Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets, each with a staff in their hand because of their great age, not just great in number, but great in quality. And guess what the old men and old women are doing in the streets? Laughing and celebrating the boys and girls who are laughing and celebrating in the streets. This is God's will. This was God's intention. I know you might say, this is so unserious of a mess. It's because I want you to understand what Jesus is really like. We're having a revival 
the real Jesus. This is the one you want to be close with. The one I'm describing for you today that the Bible's describing, I'm just highlighting what it says. That's the Jesus you want to come run into when you fall. That's the Jesus you want to come run into when you've blown it, when you've ruined your life. He's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's the father that will always love you. He's the mother that will always believe in you. He's the brother that you wish you had. He's the friend that will never leave you or forsake you. And he's been in this world the whole time. In Proverbs chapter 8, verse 30, look at what it says about the wisdom of God personified as a woman. And if you look at this in the, if you guys can put that, um, yeah, that JSP version. Wisdom is personified as a woman, but wisdom really is Jesus. And remember, when God created Adam, when God created man, it was male and female he created them. And then he took Eve out from Adam. So God's original creation is male and female inside of one. And Jesus has all of the attributes of a, of a father and a mother and a brother and wisdom. Look at what wisdom is. He said, then wisdom says, then I was by him, the father, the creator, as a nursling, as his darling, one translation says. And I was daily all delight playing always before him. Listen to what wisdom is saying. Playful, playing always before him, playing in his habitable earth. And my delights are with the sons of men. God created us to have a delight in him, to be a delight to him and to be and for him to be a delight to us. Your walk with God is supposed to be delightful. It's supposed to be playful wisdom that sounds like the old people wisdom of Socrates, wisdom of this guy or that guy. But think about it. Wisdom is shouting in the streets here saying, what is wisdom doing? Playing always. Why? Because wisdom knows that it wins in the end. Playing always before him. Wisdom knows that it's more than a conqueror. Wisdom knows who he is in Christ. Wisdom knows who she is in the Lord. And wisdom is playful and wisdom is happy and wisdom is jumping and leaping and having a delight in the sons of men and playing with the father. The son is playing with the father. The father's playing with the son. This is wisdom. This is God's will. This is God calling us to a revival of love, return to our first love. Jesus loved us first. We love him so much. And Jesus is fun. One time Jesus is walking on, the disciples are straining at the oars, the Bible says in Mark chapter 6, I think it is. They're straining, they're going across the lake and they're straining at the oars, the wind hit it so bad. Jesus comes walking on the water and literally says, and he walked right by them. He was playing with them. He was messing with them. He walked right by them and they're like, oh, it's a ghost. He's like, oh, guys, 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 hey, it's me. He decides to show off his ability to walk on water in a playful, fun way. Because no matter what you think is seriously hurting you right now, Jesus wants you to know he walks on the water of whatever your problem is and he's coming to rescue and he's coming to deliver and he's coming to love you and he's coming 
to play, to make life fun, to make life happy, to make life truly reflect what God's original intention was. You know, as I close, Chesterton wrote it best in his book, Orthodoxy, when he said, because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead, right? Your little kid, just throw me up again. My kid would be like, throw me up again, do it again, do it again, do it again. When they couldn't even understand hardly any words, the three words they knew, do it again. Grown-up people are not strong enough to celebrate doing it again over and over, but God is strong enough to celebrate doing it over and over. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, he says, do it again to the moon. It may be, it may not be automatic necessity that makes all the daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately but has never got tired of making them beautiful and fun and light. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy and childlike faith, for we have sinned and grown old, and now our Father is younger than us. For we have sinned and grown old, and our Father is younger than us because he's playful and we get so serious. And if you just look at creation, if you just look at creation, look at a dog, the funniest, they play, they're never like, hold on, I gotta send an email. Dogs just wanna play, do it again, do it again. You wanna throw a ball and he's like running. It's a cat just pulling on the sock. And, these, these animals were made so that you could see how fun and playful God really is, that he created animals, he created things to be playful, he created people to be as well. And we, we've got to lighten up. We've got to not take this stuff so seriously. I know that people, look, the, be, the best thing we can do is reflect the love and the warmth and the, who do you want to be around? You want to be around playful people. Who do you want to be around? Who do you want to sit next to at a dinner, a playful person? someone who's fun, someone who laughs, someone who can make you laugh. This is Jesus. This is our Father that after eons of ages, he's younger than us because he's so fun and happy and joyful. Would you just lift your hands? You know what he is? He's our dearest Father just like we sang earlier, he's our closest friend. Come on, let's just worship him. Yes, Father, closest friend, most beautiful, most beautiful. Father, 
measure, wherever you are, this moment in time, don't you want this Savior in your life? Don't you want this dearest, closest Father in heaven? If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, pray with me right now. Just say, Heavenly Father, I invite Jesus Christ into my life. Lord, show me the real Jesus. I receive the real Jesus, the God who is love and who made me in his image. Make me new again. I receive you into my life. Jesus, you've risen from the dead, washing away all my sins by your precious blood. Now I'm yours and you're mine. If you prayed that, you just got born again, the Bible says, and you have a new life, a new life, a new life with him as your father. And everything is going to be all right. I just pray for each and every one of you, everyone watching right now, saved and those that just got saved, those that are already children of God. Lord, open our eyes, remove the scales that have blinded us from seeing the real Jesus in all of his love, in all of his goodness, in all of his glory, in all of his lightheartedness. In Jesus' name. And Lord, touch and heal everyone hurting right now. Soften and absorb the blow that has come against them in whatever area of life has hurt them. Thank you for your hands that heal. Thank you for your face that shines upon them, does them good, and gives them hope. In Jesus' name. I love you guys. I hope you receive this in the spirit that God intended it. And we'll see Wednesday for our moments that will change your life and bless you. Indeed, we'll be on every day on Daily Bread as well. Go in faith, go in peace, go with joy. Don't let the devil shame you out of this playful, happy God that has come to live inside of you by his Holy Spirit. I love you guys. Let us know if you need anything. God bless.